Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me this evening are David Shapiro from Sassman Securities and Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investments. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. David, Wayne, good evening to you both. Uh, Wayne, if I may start with you tonight. Um, overall, it was a flat day on the JSE, but there were some shares that did pretty well. Sassel and Richemont among them. Uh, maybe yes. we could talk about Sassel because I saw you tweeting yesterday on the occasion of the results, how how the resource cycle turns, um, yes. and uh, I mean it's it's almost incredible to think that Cecil actually did pay a dividend after what it went through. Yeah, look, I mean they did resume the dividend. I mean they looking they had no option, but I'm pretty sure they're looking back now and regretting the sale of half of the U.S. operations to save the balance sheet because that was absolutely right at the bottom of their particular cash profit cycle and the commodity price cycle and the, especially the chemical price cycle, they were right at the bottom. But anyway, that's what it is, I suppose, when you are put under severe pressure. But yeah, I mean, the Sassel share price, I went down, we'd go to 25 Rand, 22 Rand, somewhere below 30 Rand, mm. between 20 and 30. And you make almost 70 Rand's earnings in six months, you know, literally a couple of years later. But you can say the same for Anglo-American, for Kumba, you know, the commodity cycle, it's lovely on the up cycle and the dividends. Certainly this time around, they've spent no capex. The dividends are fantastic. The balance sheets are healthy. But this, never forget, this is a cycle. Yeah. And also the 2020 vision is quite something because when we were going through that, I seem to recall all of us saying, oh, no, oh, maybe you shouldn't, no, don't go near Sassel, don't go anywhere near it. And here we are, you know, above 330 rand a share. Um, the question that has come through on Sassel is, are Tungela, and we can get to that, and Sassel still good buyers after the recent runs and the high dividends declared? David, what do you think? It depends on where the coal price goes. If the coal price and oil price can hold, I think the oil price is good. Um, you know, can hold it round about these levels. Remember, we've come from much, much lower levels for Sassel, from you know from forty dollars a barrel to where we are today, a hundred. So I mean, the operational gearing of those kind of moves is enormous. And the same thing from Tungela, where Tungela was a loss-making operation when when Anglo sold it, and suddenly. Uh, Russia invades Ukraine, and and all hell, you know, uh, go all hell breaks loose, and uh, the, the the price goes up, you know, incredibly. So can it sustain these levels? Maybe for a year? Can it do it for two, three, four years? That's the history, and that's what Wayne is alluding to. You know, if if it can hold these levels and keep going up, yes, then they're great buyers. But we know these things can fall as fast as they go up, particularly something as difficult to understand as coal. Just a last comment there, because there's lots of questions tonight. I mean, Wayne, you have said before that you think an, a decent oil price is 70 to $80 a barrel. I, I yeah. saw some comment on the FT today saying this pullback that we've seen in the oil price is probably only temporary. In other words, it's going to go back to where it was. I don't know if you agree with that view. Look, it's always difficult to no one knows the future. and anyone's, anyone's view is as valid as someone else's view. But in an environment with rising interest rates and slowing economic growth, cannot see the oil price resuming or any commodity resuming a bull market at this stage where all you hear is inflation double digit interest rates going up 
the US PMI falling, I just cannot see it in this slowing global growth environment, the oil price surge. But remember, don't, 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 you know, you must all remember what happened in 2008 where the oil price was forecast to go to $250, $300. You know, next stop was 20 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You okay. must never forget that. Yeah, impossible to call. Okay, another thing that's, I don't know if it's impossible to call, but the question is, what's the panel's opinion on Telcom? Is it worth taking a punt on these shares with a potential bidding war brewing? If MTN take over Telcom, Vodacom and MTN would uh, essentially hold 80% of the market, and would a deal like this go through the Competition Commission? Well, that is the big question, and they are, I believe, reams and reams of lawyers working on this. I know, yes. especially on MTN side. Um, David, do you do you dip in on the expectation, and and you've got rain now in the picture, although it's not as if rain has lots of money. They would rather want some sort of merger. You know, I mean, they're not going to pay out huge amounts of cash. They're going to make Telcom another small company that's playing in that space. Whereas if Telcom goes with MTM, you know, they go into the big league. So I don't think rain has got the deep pockets to really do anything big. Now, it will focus on a very specific area, and I think that specific area is what MTN wants. So I'm backing, uh, not for any personal reasons, I just back MTN. I think in the end it's going to be a better deal. But they will have to get rid of certain other businesses, and I think that's going to be difficult. What are they going to get rid of? You know, nobody wants a legacy fixed line business. So who's going to run that, you know, which they will have to do? So I think, I think there are a lot of questions about what the shape of the deal is going to be, what it will look like, and what will have to be broken up. Mm. I'm not clever enough to, to, to understand or to make it. You, know, you need someone with a much greater understanding of the two businesses. Um, Wayne, have you got any suggestions or um, if you... You know, if you hadn't bought, if you hadn't held Telcom or maybe bought it the day before MTN said yeah. that they were keen on Telcom, would you buy it now? Look, there might be a bidding war coming up. Who knows? But it's probably not going to double the share price. You know, maybe it goes up 10%, maybe 15%, somewhere around there. Look, rain can lay a lot, a lot of capital. Eh? I mean, they're, 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 they're very influential and very rich people behind rain. So they can get the money, but uh, you know who's going to bid it up fifty percent? Mm. You know the share price, as you all know, has already gone up. So you can, you might as well go in and try for the bidding war. But you know you haven't got a hundred percent upside. Yeah, sorry, just on the money, I, I think they've got the money to buy it. What concerns me is the money to keep running it. You know that's where the fixed fixed capital down the line is is a massive demand. You know, and you've got to have big deep pockets. Uh, to you know, if you look at the Vodacom and MTN's annual bill, I mean, it's enormous amounts of money, and that includes all the operators around the world. It's it's a very expensive, highly capital intensive business. Yeah. Of course, it changes because technology changes all the time. And, and I suppose you need other parts of the business to be spinning money furiously, or just uh, you know they've got the critical mass which Telcom doesn't really have. Um, in order and, and to I, to keep um, paying for that capex, and, and I keep saying it, and we want the product free. We want to go to Starbucks. <laughs> we don't want to pay for what they produce. So, so always remember that. You know, there's always complaint. Oh, you know, data much too expensive. You know, so yeah. Anyway. 
Okay, all right. Okay, so um, that's our, our view that maybe there's a bit of upside still, but not uh, a hell of a lot. Um, there's a very interesting question that's come through on this potential grey listing of South Africa. Um, uh, you know, grey listing in terms of uh, financial laundering and, and money controls, partly because of the absolute failure of the prosecutor authorities to go after anyone um, who's done something naughty. Um, and the question is, what is the panel's view on the risks and dangers of the possible imminent grey listing on our JSE and individual stocks? And should we be worried about this at all? Um, Wayne. Yeah, look, I mean, of course, you must be worried about this. The impact on the JSE is relatively limited because the JSE is 80% you know, overseas companies or, or commodity companies that sell their product in dollars. So the effect on the JSE will be relatively mar marginal. I mean, obviously the banks, the retailers will all be affected, but it's like it's like the credit downgrade. You know, before we went junk status, it was the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And now we've been junk status for years now and life carries on and the, the RAND carries on and the long bonds carry on and everything carries on. Hmm. Look, I think we're a long way from being grey listed. You've certainly seen a few regulatory authorities issue fines to banks for non-compliance, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, maybe I'm too optimistic. I don't think we will go grey listing, but um, it obviously won't be good news at all. Mm. But, I, but I, I don't think it's imminent. Julieta, we're probably there in a way. I think uh, try open an account at a Swiss bank or any one of the European banks, and you know, you're regarded as a friend of, Gup of the Guptas, until you can prove otherwise, you know. So they, that's how they treat you. I mean, they've got special compliance issues for anybody from South Africa. In, in certain banks, you can't open an account if you live in Lesotho, if you live in Botswana, if you live in any of those areas as well. They will not even consider opening an account for you. So already there is, um, they, they treat us with, um, you know, with, with, from a compliance point of view, very, very carefully. And it's an issue. You know, it's a big issue at, at, at these kind of levels. So um, I, I, I agree with Wayne. We won't feel it on the JSE or anything, but I think overall it just it, it makes things more difficult. You know, it's like going to apply for a visa. Come from South Africa, they all think that you're going to skip the country and go yeah. live in that, you know, skip the border and live there forever and never come home. So I, mm. I think that's just a taste of, of what it is like. Yeah, it's sort of the, this taint, but not, I mean, I, I suppose maybe as an investor, you would be worried that there would be some immediate um, impact on access to finance or uh, inability to secure capital. That's not going to happen, is it? I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so either. I mean, Shapiro is the only guy I know that opens up Swiss bank accounts. So he knows more about that than what I do. But, David, um, obviously it won't be good news if we, it, it won't be good news if we do get put on any sort of grey list or ban from doing any sort of international financial transactions. I, I, but I do agree with you, Julieta. This, this isn't the fault of our banks. Eh? No, no. Yeah, although the banks didn't, uh, you could say that they didn't cover themselves in glory during the state capture era uh, when it took, you know, months and months and lots of journalistic articles um, for everyone to finally close up their accounts uh, to the Guptas. But, uh, but hey-ho. Um, just maybe one last question, David. If you had to isolate any one sector that would take, take it in the neck, would it be the banks themselves or n not even necessarily? Probably because they deal in international settlements all the time. 
You know, they're the mechanism, they're the third party that we use. So it could be the financial sector that, that, that suffers as a result. Just makes it more cumbersome. Yeah. Okay. One of the shares that came off a little bit today was uh, NASP, well, the two shares, NASPAS and Process. And there was a question that was sent through earlier asking, um, it seems that NASPAS and Process uh, share price have uh, share prices have settled around 2,500 Rand and 1,100 Rand, respectively, over the past month. This is surprising given that there's still a 30 to 40% discount to NAV or, um, or, uh, or 10 cents, I suppose. Um, I shall appreciate the expert's view, please. When? Well, look, I mean, Tencent came out with their results. These were not good results when you, when, when, when you analyzed them down at the bottom. And David spoke extensively about that last week, I think. You know, maybe maybe Tencent has gone a little bit ex-growth. But, you know, the, the NASPAS share price and process, as we all know, have rallied strongly. I don't know whether there's a 30% discount. There's probably a lower number than that. So I suppose the simplistic answer is, it's probably done most of its rallying mm. in closing that discount. You know, so unless they actually the management actually bring those other businesses to fruition, because you know they made another big acquisition to try and get one of the other businesses up to scale very recently. And the the share buybacks are still continuing, but certainly the majority of the discount probably has been taken out. Mm. David, so do you think that's sort of fair value? So I don't know fair value. I, I can't work that out. You know, I mean, uh, the the worry is that they 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 slowing down the purchases. It appears that uh, either they're running out of money or they can't find the shares, and they're not as aggressive as they were in the early stages. So against that, you might find the marginal seller coming in and just starting to widen the discount. You know, you've got to eventually you run out of money. You just can't keep buying and buying and buying. Mm. So. Uh, just watch for that. Uh, I haven't monitored this week's numbers. They normally come out on a Tuesday afternoon just to see the level of purchases that they make, but they do disclose it every week. But but one could sense from watching volumes today, very, very low. You know, today on the JSE value trade, it was like 16 billion yesterday, a similar amount. Mm. So you could certainly feel that, that the, the, the purchases the number are there. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so is there any incentive for you, either of you actually to buy either uh, NASPAS or Process at this stage? Not really. Look, I would still buy at this price, to be honest. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go massively overweight, and I, it might not be the biggest share in my portfolio, but I still think it's okay to buy and hold, yeah. yeah. You know, if they work out, and I'm talking about, you know, the classified business and the edutech and the food delivery and all of their non uh, cent businesses, if they're successful with those businesses, you know, they, they could be worth a, a, a lot of money. And then if you sell them off or list them separately, you know, then the discount will truly unlock you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on um, to Avenge. Um, and it's quite a comprehensive question that's been sent through. Um, and so it says it'll be good to hear thoughts given the recent results to the market. Market cap is sitting at around 2.2 billion Rand. Avenge has 2.6 billion in cash. And it's still in the process of finalizing the Trident steel sale. Debt's been cut from 880 million to 480 million. And the Trident steel sale will reduce debt even further. Some large US banks own around 30% on behalf of their clients. Is this bargain hunting 101 for the next 12 to 36 months with their offshore exposure and recent turnaround? Or what are we missing? Surely this is more an advanced investment case rather than just option money. David, 
Do you have any thoughts I, there? I have to bring the order book uh, to fruition. In other words, I think that will determine where they go. The, the time to have bought them would have been last year, even at the beginning of 2021 or somewhere in 2020, when they were trading for zero, you know, the one cent or something like that. I know there's been a consolidation. But um, you also need spend, you know, and I don't think we've seen that kind of spend. They've got a fairly decent uh, order book, but uh, there's still a lot of write-offs taking place there and a lot of consolidation in their, in their balance sheet. Uh, I thought we would have seen a better uh, set of numbers, to be honest. But, I'm, but, but I must admit, I didn't go through it with a fine tooth, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in a way that the, the earnings were positive but were down. Mm. Um, Wayne, I suppose the other thing with a construction company is don't ever get too beady an eye on their cash because they need that, you know, they have to use that cash yes, in order to complete the, 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 the business or the, the projects for which they've tendered. And, and there is a lot between tendering for the projects and completing them. And I mean, you know, Avenge used to be massively cash flush and that all kind of yeah. disappeared basically because it had to use yeah, well, money look, on I, I can remember a few decades ago where they also had 30% of their market cap in cash on the balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera. But look, I think we also, all of us remember Avenge, you know, from a couple of years ago. It, it, it's got, it's got uh, Mulmans in South Africa, which is mining, open cost mining got the steel business which they're going to sell to i think it's a well they supply the auto manufacturers but they're going to sell that steel business so this is actually an australian specific basin construction company now it's, you know it's got it's got Mulmans in south africa it's not even in the south african construction they, they sold with Greenica lta a long time ago hmm. okay you know, so I think I think it is a case of more than just option money because I think they're past that point of yeah, okay. you know bankruptcy or, or survive. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I didn't think the results were that bad. Yeah, okay, but not necessarily an obvious bargain. Um, okay, no. then what about I, I think mm, sorry? Affected by construction companies, you know, even Wilson Bailey, which was the the ultra blue chip of this, got taken out in Australia. I mean, to a yes. point where. It's going to take them a long time to come right. Marion Roberts has had an awful history. They're starting to look much better and a lot more there. So, you know, the Robexes, the Afrimats, which are slightly different businesses, are probably the steady ones uh, within the sector. You know, those who've survived and done well. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. But it's a tough, tough, <laughs> it's a tough industry because those projects always go wrong. You know, something... <laughs> Something always, yeah. I mean, well, look at you know building your own house, uh, and yeah. and how yes. <laughs> inevitably things go bad. Um, all right, moving on. There's a question on AECI, and the question is, what would be David's view on AECI or Bang Bangs, as he calls it? The share price seems to be on a steady decline. Is this market uncertainty on the news of the CEO stepping down, or simply a fear of growth in this particular sector? I think it's probably a fear of growth. I think. Uh, um, mining probably slowing down with, with lower commodity prices. We've seen we've seen the results coming out of uh, out of um, the platinum group and and also Kumbas and various other businesses. So it might just be a, a reflection of what's happening in, in the industry. I've been watching Barlow's in the same uh, light as well. Um, you know, just watching how they've been performing because they do supply the mining industry and manufacturing, and also been under a bit of pressure. Listen, it's a good business. It's, it's fundamentally a good business. 
and the right economy will do well. You know, it's mining, it's it's uh, manufacturing, it also supplies the uh, you know, agricultural sector. So, you know, in 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 the right climate, it's a very good business. I wouldn't, I would, you know, I'm not getting short of it, but um, I think you need conditions to improve in this economy for it to, uh, to you know, to really grow again. I mean, Wayne, does it, you know, if you, if you talk about its exposure to mining, is it to some, does it kind of track what you have seen happening in mining, listed mining shares? So you would say that there's an obvious correlation between, yes. between them and AECI? Correct, yes. Look, I mean, we are in a down cycle, it looks like now on commodity prices, but the downside is very limited because there's no massive surge of, of new supply coming on. And I still think, despite what the, market, the market's current mood is, that we will see interest rate cuts both here and globally, more importantly, at the end of, towards the end of next year, and then the cycle will pick up. So, you know, on a five-year-plus view on commodities and the commodity cycle, I'm actually relatively positive, but it is clearly a commodity share. And for the shorter while, six months, year, whatever, um, I'm not that positive on commodity and commodity-related shares. So despite the share price having come off a little bit on AECI, I have not a little bit, quite a bit, um, I, would, I would wait. Okay. All right. I just look... God, it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of wondering where the graph is because it's been slow to pop up on the screen uh, this evening. Um, but it's, it's, it's awful. It's heading in one direction. And I'm not quite sure why, you know, the sell-off is so intense. Well, look, I mean, all commodity, all commodity prices, all commodity shares seem to have peaked in March, April, and they've been going down. Yeah, okay. Well, moving on, um, sadly, uh, to uh, Fortress. Uh, can the panel give a likely scenario and how the Fortress saga will unfold and how the Fortress A and B shares will perform when REIT status is lost? Surely, Fortress B will benefit. Now, have either of you been following this? I can't, I can't give a, a comment on this. I, I've, ne I've, I've never looked into the Fortress A and B structure, so I actually can't comment on it. Okay, well, I think I can comment. So if, if the viewer doesn't mind, because I spoke, I spoke at length to a very disgruntled retail shareholder um, after last week's vote, and it looks as if it was the PIC that collapsed the vote, uh, that voted against it, which is very, very strange, considering that they own Fortress A and B shares, so most peculiar. Um, the company said that if they cannot, uh, you know, they have this cooling off period under the takeover regulation panel, so you can't call another shareholder meeting unless they get the PIC to change their minds. So if they can convince them to do that, then there's a chance that the vote could, you know, if they hold it again and they get a waiver from the TRP, they could get this through potentially. Um, but the company itself said they are not overly concerned about losing REIT status. They lose some tax benefits, yes, um, but they will keep money back. They'll grow the business and they'll grow the portfolio. So it's not all bad. And I think the Fortress B shares have actually rallied. So um, it's, it's not... It's Why not did a, we vote against it? What was their reasoning? We asked. Um, and it's, it's like trying to get information out of a stone. <laughs> <laughs> so okay but that's uh that's the update on fortress and yeah um so maybe i should quickly move on um to i don't know if either of you have been following conduit capital uh, that's another um disaster what's the panel's view it's down to 12 cents a share any thoughts there i i i, I watch it from the side you know 
it's um, I've got I've got no real interest in it. But I mean, it's 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 unfortunate, and I, I think sad because inside there is constantial insurance, and it's always difficult when insurance companies come under pressure. You know, we're seeing it in the healthcare company as well. Uh, there's always concern around that. And uh, again, I'm not quite sure why they weren't able to fund Constantia. But I mean, it, it's just been one of these troubled businesses on the JSC all the time. And, and maybe we have to look at management for that. Mm. Okay, well, um, the FM is sort of looking into this, so um, the viewers maybe can wait for stories uh, that will come out. Uh, but getting to your stock picks this evening, uh, Wayne, what would you be keen on? What 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 share did I pick? Oh, I picked momentum. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the second time I've, I've, I've picked momentum in the not too recent past. The uh, last set of results that came out actually looked very good. I mean, they're out a couple of days ago. You know, they had a big turnaround in in profitability. They've certainly said that they've you know they're seeing more normalised mortality and morbidity claims after COVID. You know that 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 tail is sort of leaving the business. They've had reasonably good uh, business sales figures. The return on equity and return on funds invested seems quite good. And and the shares at a very high dividend yield, and I don't think the dividend's coming un, under threat. I know it has gone up a little bit in the, in the, in the last few days, hmm. but I think it's still at quite a big discount to the embedded value per share, which is one of the metrics, one of the things you would use to actually look at a life company. So, you know, I think it's a reasonably good sort of value play, good quality business that's been around for a very long time that you're getting at a, yeah. you know, at, at, at a decent, decent price. Yeah. Okay. Can't ask for much more than that. Um, David, unless you're going to dazzle us or something, some tin bagger in the making. I, now I'm going for the Global X battery and lithium ETF. And the only reason I'm going for ETF is that you can't buy the battery companies at all in China. And I still think this is going to be an area which is going to dominate over the next year, the next 10 years, with China and Europe leading rather, America falling behind. But I think yeah. China is going to be the big country, you know, the country that um, that dominates electric vehicles. And I just think that that, that battery, you know, battery manufacturers are, uh, they're, they're not enough, they're very, very few. And I think they're going to dominate. I know we haven't got time to go into the great detail, yeah. But I think um, it's, it's a very attractive area. Yeah, and I suppose you spread your risks this way by picking an ETF rather yeah. than one company. Okay, uh, we shall leave it there. David Wayne, thank you very much for joining us this evening. As always, nice to chat to you both. Uh, David Shapiro is from Sasson Securities. Wayne McCurry is from FNB Wealth and Investments. We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same place. Have a good evening. <laughs>